This podcast is produced by EnergeticCity.ca, your only local and independent news in Northeast BC. To support local news and this podcast, go to EnergeticCity.ca slash join to find out more. Hello, and welcome to our third episode of Voices of the Peace. First and foremost, we'd like to acknowledge that we're filming this show on the traditional territory of the Deneza. Secondly, I wanted to say thank you for tuning in. It has been a real pleasure talking with you at home and hearing about how much you've been enjoying all of the conversations that we've had so far. If you're just tuning in for the first time, though, this show was created as a way to find out more about our town, our community, and, and the people in it. See, I drive down the street, and I see Pomeroy Sports Center, I see the Cultural Center, I, I see a lot of local businesses, I see a lot of local buildings, and I think, how did that get there? How was that built? When did that go there? Now, you might play in a sports league, you might be in a community club, you might be a park, and you might say, how did this all start? Well, that's where Voices of the Peace comes in. We want to find those stories. We want to find the teams that built those things, the people who, who shaped our town. We want to know what happened, and we want to celebrate the stories that make up our town. We've partnered with Urban Systems, who build vibrant communities, and North River Midstream, who know that with the right players and a great community partner, we can do this. My name's Ted Sloan, and welcome to Voices of the Peace. My next guest is someone today who is in more places than I am, and that is saying something. If you're looking for something to read, well, he's written it. If you're looking to get out and enjoy some trails, there's a good chance he built them or know who did. If you're looking to get our town to, uh, to know our town a bit better, chances are this person knows when that building was there, how long it's been there, and why it was there in the first place, and probably has numerous stories about it. He's worked with our cyclists, he's been a national speed skating champion, and what I admire most about him is he always has time to talk, to find out how you're doing, and he's always eager to share a story or two. Today, my guest is the one and only Mr. Pat Ferris. Well, Pat, thank you. how are you today? Great. It's like uh, a heat wave out there. It's wonderful. It's so warm. It is. Have you been out on your bike? Uh, not last, not for a week and a half, but should be because it's warming up enough to be able to get out on the trails with a fat tire bike. So yeah, it won't be long. So you say we could have, it was really cold a week and a half ago. Are you still out there all the time? Uh, you don't want it too warm for fat tire biking. You want it generally minus five or between minus five and minus 15. So that's quite tolerable. That's but in the meantime, I have a bike in the basement that I ride as well, too. So, well, so let's, let's, uh, you've got, because I know that we've been talking about bikes, we've been talking about buildings, we've been talking about speed skating, we've been talking about everywhere. Um, I just, let's start as close to the can at the beginning. When did you first come to Fort St. John? I think, did you say it was in the 70s? I came here for six months in September of 1975, like everybody else, and still here. What made you stay? I, I didn't get a chance to ask you that yet, but. I didn't even know where Fort St. John was on a map. I just kind of drove in. A friend of mine, Jim Pelche, teach, oh, teacher was here and he went to the same trade school that I went to and started working here, enjoyed it, decided to stay a year and then came two years and then retired here. I'm still here. There's, you know, I'm sure there's a better place possibly, but I haven't found it yet. So I'll be here in the meantime. You said trades. I didn't know what trade are you? Because I, I, I know you as like, I grew up here and I was like, oh, Pat runs uh, Ferris Fast Cycles. And then I found out that you had a job before that. What, what trade did you do? I'm a heavy duty mechanic in Millwright. You're a heavy duty mechanic? Yep, and a Millwright. I have both trades. That's, 
how did you veer into bikes? Did you? Yeah. I always was in bikes. I started uh, in cycling in like 1968. Started working in a bicycle shop uh, when I was uh, 16, and that, that kind of kept me going for a long time. Then I went to trade school, came up here, worked in the patch for 25 years, and then went back to my second childhood, which is biking. <laughs> And I, did, I hadn't realized, you were talking, when we were talking off-camera, how much bikes have changed since you started. There's always been mountain bikes in my world. You said there's not always been mountain bikes? No, nope. mountain bikes are a new thing. I mean, cycling, bicycles evolved like anything else. Originally, you had a, a road racer bike with the drop bars and the funny-looking things. Then you had the, the, the big, wide handlebar one to, on your paper route, your three-speed kind of thing. And that was pretty much it in those days. And then slowly, they evolved into the... Uh, mountain bike, so that's the fat tires, the flat bars that started coming along at the early, late 70s, early 80s, and now they became sort of a whole subculture, and then even mountain biking has broken up into a bunch of subcultures from there. So yeah, there's a whole, a whole pile of different kinds of bikes for, I mean, there's so many people riding bicycles compared to what it was now. I mean, there's there's gravel bikes, there's road bikes, there's cyclocross bikes, track bikes, and it's just the road genre. Then <laughs> off-road, there's uh, enduro bikes, downhill bikes, and cross-country bikes. I mean, there's so many different kinds. for Basically, for any kind of biking you think you're going to be doing, there's a bike for it. Do you, do you live by the mantra? I had a friend who was a biker, and he said, the number of bikes you need is one more than you already have. Yep. Is that <laughs> yep. uh, I have 10, and I'm looking for more. That's, and, and just you, well... The thing is, every time I go to buy a bike, I see the sticker on it that says Ferris Fast Cycles. Like, you, you have a ton of bikes that you have sold throughout the peace community. It's we have, yes. It was in business uh, from uh, 1997, and we closed the actual storefront in uh, 2016. And then, but I've kind of worked on and off out of my garage just kind of as a repair service. So I, I never really left biking, I guess. Yeah, it, it never went away. What's it like to own... The bike shop, because I, like, I, I remember going in, and I remember seeing you, and I remember seeing your sons there. Um, being a business owner terrifies me. I just, I, I don't know if I could ever do it, but it's also neat that you got to work with your sons. What, what was it like to run a bike shop? Being your own businessman, it is a really difficult job. You're suddenly, you ex you're expected to know a ton of things. Uh, the tax people phone you up and say, you need to do this, <laughs> and they never told you this, you know? or uh, local business things, or your suppliers, or I mean, it's a, a crazy learning curve. Although it is interesting, I, I met some amazing people, great customers, it was fun working with my kids, and sometimes stressful. You know, it's hard to admit when the kid knows more than you do, you know, or <laughs> vice versa. It, it, it's a great experience. You have a whole new appreciation for an independent businessman, because a businesswoman, I mean, there is such a steep learning curve, it's very difficult. So not for the faint of heart. So yeah, but it, it's a great experience. Well, I liked it because you and I were talking earlier and I had said, well, I bought a house. Um, and you don't know what it's like to buy a house until you buy it. When you're right, that, that learning curve right away, you've just got to go, oh shoot, I needed to do that yesterday. Um, mm -hmm. Which is, it's a, it's a wild adventure. Speaking of adventures and bikes, you and I were mentioning, you said that you, the Blizzard Bike Club was founded in your living room in 1982? That's correct, yes. And how, how did that go? How was, like, I enjoyed biking in it, and, and I know lots of riders did, and we've had lots of people through it. What, what was, like, the start of it? How was it? Well, it was, it was, I'd been 
started with the Victoria Wheelers way back when in 1968. So I kind of got an idea what a club should look like. That, that helped a lot. We were primarily a road bike club at that time because we weren't really, wasn't much in the way of mountain bikes around in the, the area at that time. So my wife, Patricia, and a fellow from Victoria, Gary Young, that was a teacher at Kearney School was there. And we thought, well, we should maybe start a club. So we thought, well, let's name it after something original. How about the Blizzard one? <laughs> yeah. So Blizzard Bike Club. And 40 years later, today almost, is when we started. Well, the club is alive and well. So you said it's fluctuated from like 90 members to 150 members, I guess. Yeah. It depends on the, on the weather, who's there. Some years, all arts, a bunch of the stalwarts move away somewhere. And of course, they're still blizzards. They just happen to be in another town. <laughs> Uh, and then we kind of get recharged again, and I mean, it's like the hockey team. There's times when it's not so good and times when you got a lot of people, but it's always fun. It's always good exercise, good bunch of folks. You always get to ride around and see things on a bicycle and smell the trees and things you don't normally get when you drive a car. So is there a favorite part that you have? Like, I, I love biking. Um, an author, uh, he writes Life of Pi. He mentions that, like, going on a boat over the ocean um, and a rowboat is like taking a bicycle through and it's, a, it's quite a, a nice uh, description of it. Is there something that draws you to bikes? It, it's such good exercise and it's always a good bunch of like-minded people that are also riding bikes and when you can ride around here like when you ride in Fort St. John people don't realize that you're not riding the Alaska Highway that's that's a terrible place to ride. <laughs> you're not gonna ride through town unless you're commuting. The people are very good here. People don't appreciate how, how good most I'll say 99% of the motorists are. But then you ride north of town or out towards Cease Lake or something, and there you are, suddenly you're, you're surrounded with the yellow canola fields, the smell of the canola fields. You see the birds flying around, the hawks trying to eat the mice, the, the blue skies. I mean, that stuff you would never see when you're driving your car, you're just looking ahead, stone face, you know, but you're relaxed. You, you forget everything when you ride a bike. You actually enjoy. You're, at, you're with the moment, which is wonderful. That's just something that doesn't happen normally. So this is a, you force yourself to throw your phone away, to go for a bike ride, relax, and you're actually uh, enjoying yourself. You're probably adding years to your life with fitness. I mean, there's riders we have in the club. I am not the, the oldest guy by a long shot in our bike club. And there's a lot of guys older than me that are also faster than me, which makes it really tough. <laughs> we said, yeah, well, I still, we still have young, young people that uh, are very fast as well, but nothing like being beat by a 78-year-old to do something for your ego. That would be, that would be yeah, a very strange feeling of going, wow, oh, wow. <laughs> well, look at Vim Koch. He still does his 1,200-kilometer rides, and Vim is older than me, and he still does it. He's as hard as nails. Jeez. Yep. It's I, a good sport. Well, I'd be curious when you go out too, when you're talking about your, um, your mind and getting to see things, um, and you, you write a lot too. Do you, do you think when you go riding? Like a, someone once said that when they go running, uh, after a three-hour run, they don't have any more problems because they've solved them all in their head or they, they've, they've really, it's been a chance to clear your mind. Do you, do you think much when you bike? Like is it a nice meditative state? or like? Did, it is. Yeah. It's very meditative because... Uh, with my with my books, I may be uh, jammed up in a part of the story where I'm thinking, wow, what am I going to do with this person or that person? I've come up with some really good ideas, toiling along. I remember I was riding up the 
a hill and it was hot and I'd been left behind for dead by the crowd. Everybody left me behind and I'm riding along. I was going so slow. Sweat was pouring off me. Flies were landing me. I thought, oh, this has got to be the worst thing. Metaphor forever. The flies are landing on me. I'm going so slow. Chugging up the hill. Well, I eventually add that into one of my stories as the person who wasn't going to make the team because things were going so poorly. She couldn't keep up. Even the flies were landing on her. I thought, so probably a pretty good part for a story to, to add in there. So yeah, it's something always going because the, the, the minutia of the day is pushed aside. So you got the kind of the things you're really thinking about are still rolling around in your head. Yeah, it's good for the, good for the brain. Speaking of the brain, writing, when did you start writing? Because I feel like uh, I went away and, you, and all of a sudden there's Pat Ferris books on, on the shelf. Have you always been writing or is it something that you took later on? Uh, I was quite into it in high school. And then I left and you know, other things take over, you know, family and work and all these things. And then about 2010, I bumped into somebody who was actually a, a trainer with, uh, with the company I was working for. That was West Coast Transmission way back when. And she was writing a book. And I thought, well, I, I could probably do that. You know? And I thought <laughs> I'd try writing. Oh, it was really hard. It took me about three years to get a, an actual novel out there, which is the very first one's called Gypsies. And what it was, is a cycling, romance, comedy story kind of thing. And yeah, the first one was a, was really difficult. Uh, a fellow named Bruce Lance got, gave me some, some ideas and guidance with that too. That helped a lot. Uh, but yeah, writing a book was much harder than I possibly imagined it would have been. And my first book I made was a bunch of things that I've done differently with that. I now have... A uh, different person doing covers. There's somebody in New York that does the covers now. I have a, a professional editor. There's a bunch of things to make them a, a, a better quality book. And they're you know available on ebooks, that kind of stuff now. But yeah, the, the first time out was a hard one. It took about, yeah, it took about 2013 to really start to, to have something to show for it. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was all that was going to happen was just a single book. But now it's I'm up to book number 10 and working on number 11 and 12 as we speak. So I'd be curious, um, you said it was really, really hard. Uh, I I would love to know, uh, because I hear that a lot, like you hear authors go, oh, this is this, because I don't actually know how to write a book, because I just imagine you sit down and write, but then I also know that when I go to sit to write plays, nothing happens. So when it's it's hard, um, what kind of things, what kind of challenges do you come up against? You you look at the empty space and say, oh, that's... uh, 30 to 40,000 words has to have some content to it. I can't just make up uh, a cover and have nothing. So what's it going to have in it? Okay, so what kind of story am I going to do? Is it going to be an adventure or is it going to be uh, nonfiction? So you have to say, oh, okay, well, it got to have something happen in there. So I've decided it's going to be a novel. So then what's this all about? So what do I know? So, well, maybe a cycling thing. Maybe start off with a... A uh, story about a cyclist, and he goes to the big city trying to make his way, and then you got to build a story. What's his character all about? Where is he from? What's he going to do? Uh, uh, there's got to be some angst of some kind going on, so there's going to be troubles, the getting caught in the blizzard, and the and the team runs out of money, or, or they all got run over by a car. I don't know. There's always something's <laughs> got to go on, and it's got to build into something that people will want to read. They've got to open the book. The cover's got to interest them. You open the book and the first little bit's got to say, oh, well, this happened here. And, and you got to keep going, going, going. And in the end, it's got to resolve it to some extent when it's over. So in the meantime, you've got to build this little world up. And then if you built the one 
book, then if you say, well, maybe I should have another one. Because what happened was with the first book, The Gypsies, I did, is I didn't consider this. Actually, I took it home, the book, and I put it on my coffee table. I thought, that's, the only, that's my book. I wrote you at least that. I did that. That's, that's all I have. And somebody came along and said, so what happened after that in this first book? I, said, I don't know. He says, well, <laughs> we want to see another one. So Gypsy Engagement came along, this one. Mm-hmm. So the second one came along. And then, and what happened after that? So I had to write a third one. Now, I've kind of pushed the people looking for number four away a little bit, but one is in the works, I assure you. Okay. There's a, there's a fourth one coming. And the same thing with the Disciples one was something entirely different. I had originally come up with the idea is what the, the American election. And I thought, well, you know, play the what if game. Well, what if this guy got to be the president? But then I'll maybe make it a slightly alternative uh, timeline. So I've got a different thing, set of things going on. Well, I need a hero. What's this hero look like? Well, I don't want to actually any hero. I want an interesting hero. And then kind of build the story. And that first one, uh, his disciples' watch came out. And then somebody says, well, what about the second one? And then I'm up to working on number six now. Jeez. And then in the meantime, I did a, a short story book. Short story books are hard because normally with a novel, you've got one hero, one plot, one start, one ending. Whereas with a, a short story book, you've got 20 stories and they all have a, uh, 20 plots, 20 starts, 20 endings. And it's all got to be pushed together in a faster timeline that a, a short story has. Short stories, in a lot of cases, movies are based on short stories or uh, plays, that sort of thing, because it's a shorter timeline and something they can squish together without going to too many different exotic places or whatever that novels often go to. So a short story makes generally a better play or a movie than you'll get out of a uh, of a novel. There's too much happening in a novel, too much backstory. That makes sense, because I, I mean, one of the main complaints about taking a novel to a movie is, oh, they couldn't, like, I'm thinking of Harry Potter, because that was my world, was, well, you couldn't fit all of Harry Potter into a movie, mm-hmm. and therefore the movie kind of, even though it's, it might be a good film by itself, but it's, yep. not, it's not the novel. Mm-hmm. Um, that makes sense, then. I never thought of it that way. Yep. Short stories are the ticket. Like, if the ones, remember the movie The Thing? You know, the, yeah. that was based on a short story by Scott W. Campbell. And it was... And it was a, a great story, but you, you watch that, and that pretty much, you can flesh that out and make it into a play or a movie, and all the information is there. You don't have to start, like Dune, when they try to, the, you know, the original one they did in the movie, it, they tried to get through a lot of material, which is really hard. So you, you generally kind of insult the, the, the writer because you don't cover everything, because you can't. It's no. not possible. It's, a screenplay is $130 a page when you write a one of these screenplays. So you better make sure that everything you have goes to the bottom line and to the story at the end or you've wasted your time and your money and nobody will come and watch it. That's, how did you learn that? That's, a, that's amazing. Have you, I was going to ask, how, how has your education into the world been? Like, has it oh, been? it's been massive. Like the whole world of screenplays is different. Playwriting is different. I haven't been brave enough to try playwriting. I've talked to Matt uh, mm-hmm. A little bit about, but I have no idea how that works. I just looked. I just know enough to be dangerous, and I back slowly <laughs> out of the room. Yes, it's one of my favorite sayings. Out of curiosity, is is writing a solo effort, a collaborative effort? Like, do you do you? We've talked about how there's there's quite a bit of writers here in the piece. 
Um, when you write, uh, do you bounce ideas off one another? Or uh, And A, I, I also didn't know how big until we talked earlier how many writers there are in the piece. Um, or, or is it similar to, well, there's different writers different ways. So somebody would do it solo and not necessarily collaborate, but this person's always bouncing off. How does one write that way? There's no two writers the same. Uh, I don't know that writing is that collaborative where we're always listening for a good idea, a good story. You know, you stand in the bank line up and somebody behind you, you, you only catch the middle part of their story. They're talking about something you didn't catch the early part, but all you get is, oh, and then this bear climbed in through the window and, and this all happened. Oh my gosh, we did this and that. And, and you go, wow, that's a really good story. <laughs> and you don't find out what happened in the end. You don't even care, but you get this, this story happens in there. And I mean, that kind of builds into your story and the thoughts and the experiences that you've had end up in the story to a point. But as far as nobody can write your story for you, they may give you ideas. They may, may be in a, in a jam in a part of a story and say, well, I wonder what I can do. You got the usual people you can bounce ideas from. And they'll say, well, have you tried this or that? And usually, oh, no, I wouldn't do that. And then, you know, yeah, maybe that might help. You know, yeah, you need to hear other people or how they resolved an issue or or they may say well you know I I try not to paint myself into that kind of corner when I write so I kind of flesh it out a little bit uh, with an outline but outline I'm not an outline kind of guy I'm kind of a seat of the pants sit there and pound the keys I the first two I did with an outline you know you kind of lay out what you're gonna do but it's more fun to let it go let the characters come to life and tell you what their story is going to be I was going to ask if that, because I've often read interviews with authors and they talk about characters. And, and so this, is, this would be a multi-layered question. Um, how, have you got to a point where uh, you've started writing, uh, I'm trying to word this the best way. Okay, so book number one, it sounded uh, like you were, you were kind of going from life experiences a little bit. You were drawing from things that you knew. Um, do, you surprise, do you surprise yourself, I guess is what I'm going to ask. Do you yes, ever have? very yeah. much so. Uh, in the very first story of Giselle, is the is the basically the the heroine of the story her, uh, her and uh, Larry they kind of get together and anyway you, you got to read the story yeah. <laughs> the uh, the her story started originally it was supposed to be about him he's the bike riders going to try to make the become a pro and this kind of stuff well her story started from a single line in the story that I did a short story on her originally. Often you do a short story to see if it's, your story's got legs, if it's gonna flesh out to anything at all. But with her story, it started off as a single line in the story. It was he, the Larry fellow, uh, he had friend, he was uh, friendly with this gal who's a bike mechanic at the local shop. And what she would do is he would get together on dates and all this stuff and she would fix his bike for him. Can't, I'm not going to go into the sort of details, but you get the idea. Well, in the end, what was happening is the, the better his bike ran, the slower he rode because he was tired because he was too busy out with this gal all time, all the times of the day or night or whatever. So that person was fleshed out. I became, I thought, well, well, what would this bike mechanic look like? Or what would she do? How would she make it? Well, what if she was uh, uh, an immigrant or something on the run, just came, arrived in the States, caught in a jam and there she is stuck there and somehow she kind of makes her way and she bumps into him because he's kind of down from the Canada in the States so he's kind of in the same boat so they're kind of sort of mutually Bonnie and Clyde kind of thing going on so yeah that just started with that very little bit 
And yeah, because you just build on the story, you know, play the what if game, you know, three what ifs, see where they go. And yeah, that, that's the, the fun part is you, you add somebody in there and you're pretty soon you're working with the main character and you can't just have it by one person. So you think, well, what if this person pitched in to help? Or what if their Uncle Bob come in and helped? You know, and then, and then your Uncle Bob, well, he's actually a serial killer. You know? <laughs> and you can go on and on and do other things with mm-hmm. the story. So that's, yeah, that's, it's very important to, to flesh these out. So you've got to leave your mind wide open. Well, speaking of mind wide open, um, how much are you influenced? Uh, like if I, you were mentioning earlier, oh, if you read this book, you, can, you, can, you might be able to know where this is. How much does the world around you bleed into your stories? Like do you, or is it hidden in such a way that you know what it is, but someone else wouldn't know? Generally, just vaguely similar to what's going on, but it, it's not, it, it's not a, a non-fiction story. I mean, the idea with this, I mean, there may be a few stories in there that happen, or maybe is a description of some, like a bicycle crash, this distinctive sound it makes, and what it feels like to grind along the pavement with bare, bare skin, skidding along from 60 kilometers an hour to zero with your, your hands and your knees for brakes. That kind of stuff, well, I can definitely uh, remember that kind of stuff. So that's uh, first-person kind of thing or, you know, what it's like to crash a mountain bike and rip your lip off and get a bunch of stitches. A bunch of those things are, are real, really did happen. But you know, a lot of it are just general things. I mean, nobody wants to read a story that sounds suspiciously like somebody else that already did all those things. It's, no, there, there's too much fun to be had by letting your imagination go wild. That's what it, it was fun hearing you when you were like, oh, this, this, this. It sounds fun. It sounds like, like it works, but it also sounds like, like creative fun. Yep, it is. It's a lot of work. You're typically, I'm, if things go well, I can put two books out a year, two okay. novels. Uh, this year it's going to be probably just one, but it depends how the year goes. But yeah, it, it takes a lot to generally to write the story. You've come up with a, a plan. Or I rough in a plan just vaguely in my mind what I want. It'll take me probably five to six weeks to actually fully type it out, which is only half the work. Then after that, you've got to go through it again, make sure it's better. Uh, then you have to go, uh, and instead of give it to an editor, and it comes back because you use a whole bunch of plot holes and things to fix. You do all that. And it takes about another month or something like that. And then you come up with a, a cover. So you talk to your cover person. Then you got to write your back blurb on the, <coughs> on the back of the, the story. So this has got to entice the person who wanted to buy your book. Mm-hmm. All that stuff's got to come together. And then you got to get it out there, get it downloaded, get it published, get it all out, get the information out there. And yeah, that's a good four or five months worth of grinding to, to get that done. How much would you say is uh, writing versus the business of getting it out there? Like, did you like? Is it pretty even? Is there one that takes more? Uh, marketing is a whole different world of science, and I'm probably the world's worst marketer. I just give a pile of books to the art gallery of the culture center and say, "Sell these books." It's, and Coles, here you go. You know, and and hey, everybody, it's on uh, Amazon. Just check out, you know, PatrickDeFerris.com and then. That's pretty much the sum total of my marketing skills, which is pretty sad compared to my son. My son is a professional artist. He's got the whole marketing thing figured out. He sends his paintings all over the world. That's not me. I'm not a marketer. And and David, my son David, is actually a marketer with uh, Jobber outfit in Edmonton. 
And but they're professionals, but I'm clearly not. Do they ever go, Dad? You could you could do this. Like, do they ever slowly push things your way? They 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 do. Uh -huh. yeah, it's it's still pretty sad. Yeah, it's just nothing close to them. Yeah. Well, that's. I had no idea how much work it took to write a book, and it's it's really neat to know. I mean. As I get older, uh, we've talked a little bit about how it's neat to get to know the world around you more. Um, it's neat to look and go, hey, I know the person who wrote this. And, and I guess I think you said there's, I, I want to say 50 art, uh, authors. Yep. I think that there's 50 authors in the piece. Yep. And they've just been around for a long time. There's lots of old, cool pioneer people that have written some books about what it's like back in the day, you know, you know, truck driving when there was no roads and the snow, old, old trucks and amazing stuff. like. Really amazing people. Wow. When you said, I, something I really enjoy, you said, when you talk to some of the, the homesteaders and things, they may not say much, but they've written, the, the stories are written down, especially at the museum. You can go and you can, yeah, you can find out what it was like a hundred, uh, or, or, or the other thing that you've been talking, we've been talking off screen a little bit about how, how many houses are here and stuff. It's really neat because names start to come up. Like we were talking about the, like Dave Chili, who mm -hmm. I had no idea was a person because I know Chili Square. I've heard Chili around. Yep. No, but uh, he, um, he that's where guy. that comes from. He was a pioneer. Yep. Well, how did you get? How did you first get involved with the the museum? Because you, you were on, um, you were on the museum board. I want to say I was. Yeah. How did you? Yeah. How did that come up? Uh, just a museum groupie and went there and helped it. They said we're looking for somebody. The museum board was looking for people and oh sure. And while I was there, saw they they had a listing of all the old uh, buildings. Like, there's a, a couple dozen. They had a, a just a, a paper sheet of it. So I thought, well, I I know a little bit about. Facebook, you know, so let me put them up and see if we get some stories from those. And then as I put the, the pictures in, people started sending in comments. And it's uh, heritage buildings in the North Peace. So it's just buildings north of the river. I include even some stories on Fort Nelson. And basically it's uh, old homes here, old homesteads, old stories. Uh, there's just so many old stories here and there's so much cool stuff. And I found there's, there's, Dozens and dozens of old buildings and halls, and still to this day, they maybe not don't look like they did back in the old old days. But you know, people are resourceful here; they repurpose these old buildings so that that old building, like Freedom Physio, used to be a mountain uh, trading from Grand Haven. It's a fellow named Thor Thorson, like 1925 or something, built that building, dragged it to town on horses, and it's right next to uh, Whole Wheat and Honey, and that was. Phoenix hair and that was the post office and there was a whole pile of functions and it's still to this day that building is still there so that has the ghosts of Thorson and all those guys walking around in there you know that's just amazing and there's, there's so many old places like that in, in town they're just and I, I think I know probably 70 or 80 of them and you know generally 50 to 60 years I mean there's not that many older than that so compared to say Ontario or Vancouver, England, we don't have that many homes because nothing was built of stone here. It was built of logs or sod or whatever. So I mean the people were around here since you know 230 years so far. The first place that was built that for a permanent habitation was in 1799, which was the old Rocky Mountain Fort. So I mean people have been around here, I'll just and talk about just us that just came across. I mean of course the Indigenous people have been here forever, mm -hmm. and yeah, so I mean, it's, this is a, a, a rich area in cool people stories. Yeah. Really is. Um, you, do you have a favorite one of those buildings? Like, we've been talking about how, A, I've been astonished at how many buildings have moved, um, 
But do you, do you have a, a few stories that you go, oh, this is the really interesting one? Uh, do you have one of them or some of them? The Bouger House is very cool. Which that's is, the one over by Robert Ogilvie, you're yep, saying? It's uh, just north across the street from Robert Ogilvie's school. I mean, that was originally a small, steep-roofed house, and it's been basically expanded. People have bought it over the years and decided it had a, a coolness to it, so they, rather than just bulldoze it, they actually fix it up and added to it and modernized it. And, and these houses are just gorgeous little houses. Like, there's nothing like them. You know, you go by them and you say, something about that house, you know. It's, it's not a, doesn't have the usual uh, ho-hum vinyl siding on it. It's actually got stucco on it. And it's interesting windows. And, you know, that house has a story to tell. You know, it's not a, just a cracker box house. It's very, very interesting. Well, and that's... Uh... There's something, yeah, I love the characters that when we were looking for houses, it's just when you walk in and you just go, oh, this is neat, and it's got great bones. You, you were mm-hmm. mentioning off, off uh, camera as well that uh, some of these houses, uh, what I really enjoyed, you said, well, you know, when they were built, you know, you just couldn't walk down to home hardware and go, I just need some more lumber. That someone, some of these are built, you had to use everything. And we then, went to Eagle Lumber. Where was Eagle Lumber? Eagle Lumber was across the highway. It was sort of across where, uh, across the street from Safeway, across Alaska Highway. Oh, okay. Eagle Lumber was there. I didn't know Eagle Lumber was there. They were there, and there was another lumber joint uh, where the old Frontier Hotel was as well. Oh, really? Yeah. And the Frontier was built there, and then it was burnt down, and there'll be something built there eventually. And it's a, I mean, this is when you have a 230-year-old place, buildings come and go. That's the way it is. I mean, we're, we're always annoyed when a building gets bulldozed. You know, it's like, oh, I, they tore that old place down. It was so cool. Something else will be built there. It's like the when Dave's Garage finally uh, burnt down, the, the BCGEU built a new building on that spot. There's some really interesting new modern buildings in, in town too. There's uh, like the, the Leeds building, kind of the uh, special environmentally friendly buildings. You see them around like the new hydro building is interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a bunch of on the strip going out towards uh, the airport. There's a bunch of really modern looking buildings. Uh, uh, Alpine Glass has got a really interesting building. So we have some really cool, very modern buildings, looking and, and modern-looking buildings as well. And the, the airport, for example, airport building, plus some really old, cool buildings. So we've got a good combination there. You know, it's uh, something for everybody. I'd be curious. If this is, okay, because I really like this, because you definitely appreciate history and, and all of the things. I've learned so much about the town just talking to you. But you're also really good at saying, but that changes. Um, and it's really neat. You have a, this really neat open mind and a lot of curiosity. Uh, has anything, did anything spark that? Or has it always been like, well, there's stuff to learn, so I'm going to learn it. Like, uh, where does that come from? Uh, I just found that, see, in a big city, you don't get to see what's going on because there's too many things going on. You're too busy going from A to B. You're going to do something that's going to take you half an hour, 45 minutes to get across town. I, I grew up in, in Victoria and also lived for uh, years in Vancouver. And when you want to do something, it's going to take you a while. I mean, that's just the way it is. It's, you know, and if it's an accident, you're, but whereas here, you got time. Or I could just ride my bike and have a look at it. You know, 10 minutes is across town. We have a, just a little place. So we can kind of keep track of what's going on out there. We go by the little building and go, oh, see that, it's a new one there. They're doing something different with that. Or we go to the museum and go in and talk to them. You know, I mean, we have time to do that. We so I think that's that's a, an essential thing that we have that you wouldn't have if you lived in a, in a bigger city. I mean, in a big city, so much things, so many changes are happening, you couldn't keep up. Whereas in a little town, we can kind of keep 
you know, be nosy enough to see what's going on over there. <laughs> so I was going to add, that's also, I think, the lovely thing is the curse and blessing of this town is, is everyone knows, every, you'll be here long enough and you will figure out that you get to know everyone. And that's neat because I, I really enjoy, uh, like my wife and I just bought a house. And first thing we got to do is go to our neighbors and go, oh, hey, this is cool. And the whole community is really like that, where there's ripples. Mm-hmm. And, and um, you were, we were talking again and, and you said, oh, your house, like, to send me a picture because you might know the history of that. And that's mm-hmm. really cool because in this city, you go somewhere, someone will know something about it. And it's yep. not a, in a bad way. It's just go, oh, did you know this? And yep. It's not like a mafia thing where we know things <laughs> about this. But people will say, you know, all my relatives live there or... Or I used to go visit my pal, he was to be there, or yeah, there's always stories about these about these houses, not in a bad way, but it's it's a legend and lore of your house. You know, it's not just a a house is a home. It's not just a pile of gyprock and a and a roof. I mean, lives go come and go on that that, that house for years and years and years. You know, it's the it's the it's the ghosts. The ghosts everybody's got a ghost in their house, or if you don't, get one. <laughs> Find a ghost. Put it in your house. I just stick them in. I think that's yep. going to be, yeah. <laughs> and there, there's something... And there are houses around here with ghosts. Pat. I know people that are not ghost people. I am not a ghost person, honest. But this person has... There is a, a ghost that opens a door, closes doors, moves chairs. And they know who the person was. It's just a very cool story. Now, having heard the ghosts, that also kind of ties in the story with some of my books about I always a ghost is something very cool mm-hmm. so all my books have some reference to ghosts in it generally speaking some of the short stories don't but they almost all have a ghost something to do with it something attached to the house the homesteader that had the house and he's stuck in the basement or something like that they all have ghosts because you gotta have a ghost in your house really, I mean one of my favorite part of, of drama is at the end of the night you put a ghost light out at the end of the stage and like the boring reason is so that no one falls off the stage in the dark but just ghosts add I don't know if this is je ne sais quoi or like they just add a little like oh there's something else here that I can't see and it just makes it ten times more interesting ghosts are the ultimate confidant because you can tell them something they're already dead they're not going to tell anybody <laughs> So you have a ghost you can talk to, you confide in them. You don't, uh, you're having a terrible time. You can tell that ghost anything. They're not going to tell anybody. But you can tell that person and they'll listen and they're not going to pass judgment. It uh-huh. wouldn't matter if they did because they're a ghost. The I, perfect friend. I look, this adds more to the get a ghost stick in your house. You yep. have a built-in friend. Uh, do you have, is, have you had a ghost experience in the piece? Or I have not. Sadly, wasn't. I have not. We're going to have to work on that. Maybe I will be a ghost someday. You never know. Do you have a, I'm there... working on that. Well, I guess the old building that you had is, is gone now, so you can't even haunt that. No, you... that, that was my old bike shop. That was originally the John Deere dealership. Was the John Deere dealership? Yep. That was originally before. That was John Deere, and then it became a machine shop, then a roofing place. And it had been a whole pile of things. It's a, a very cool old building. It really was. Yep. And it was getting pretty shabby towards the last, but I got great rent on it. I had a great landlord, and it was it did everything I needed it to do. That's, uh, like I said, just the, the sheer amount of knowledge you have for the, for the buildings. Like I didn't realize, uh, you, you were the first one who told me about, can, can you tell me again the, the moose, the, the moose man story, the, the hall, no, the the structure that Mr. The Thorson. Oct- Octagon Hall. Yes, because yes, that was a fascinating one. Uh, somebody put on the, one of the heritage buildings page that said it was built round 
because the ghosts couldn't hide in the corner. Goes back to ghosts again. Now, this is rugby team that originally got, so maybe the rugby team had something to do with this as well. But in the 30s, Thor Thorson built this round dance hall out of logs. It's an amazing thing. Actually, there's a picture of it in front of, there's a signboard in front of the uh, Safeway. And it's got a big uh, poster or about showing you the, what the old building was. But it's actually located out at uh, Grand Haven. And it's still standing. Uh, the Moose Men looked after it for it was part of their rent at one time, and they played there as well. I mean, legendary Moose Men rugby team is amazing. But I was talking to a fellow. Now, this guy really does know. Like Larry Evans is the guy that really knows what's going on. Old buildings in Fort St. John. Like, I'm just, don't even hold a candle to him. But I was talking to him about this building got to be unique in the world you know and he says oh but they built two i said you're joking he says no built two there used to be a smaller one at some at uh, uh summerside beach near charlie lake they built a smaller one and it was a dance hall used for years and years and it was eventually moved and who knows what kind of conditions in now but there was two of them at one time but i mean how many build how many people would build a round log dance hall a big uh, dance hall, too. So, yeah, and it's you drive out towards the dump. It's on the right, and see it off into the woods. Fantastic. And then there's also, when you're going out there, is the original, before all the hospitals in Fort St. John, the medical place, was that little log cabin, the last one on the right, which was the Red Cross building. So it's this little log cabin, still being habitated to this day. Something happened to you. You either got to horse and buggy to Edmonton, <laughs> Or they would take you over there, and hopefully somebody could fix you up. But that was before the hospital days. That's that's and that connects because you were also talking about how we had that building, and then the original um, hospital. There's still a piece of it out in Buick Creek. That someone yep. took the original Providence Hospital and yep. a picture it. of the Providence Hospital there, and a, uh, some fellow, kind fellow, put a comment in there and said, "Here's a picture of it." He said, "When they were going to bulldoze it, we got this little piece off the end. Here it is." And we put it on a truck and hauled it to Buick Creek, and people are living in living in it to this day. You kind of so this is on your your, your heritage, uh, the heritage building in the West Peace um, Facebook site. You've kind of become like the king of Facebook of Fort St. John because you have this one, and you have Fort St. John rules, and also North Peace books and North Peace authors. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really. What do you like about Facebook? Because like you're really good at it. You're getting people. You said you have people from all over the world on your sites. It's it's like Facebook has become like YouTube. YouTube and Facebook are inherently evil and awful and and discredit, uh, disreputable in every way you look at it. But if you have a site that's got somebody that knows what they're doing, they're they're looking after it, so it's not turning into some kind of a dog whistle, terrible page of some kind. It can be a great source of information. Uh, same thing with like YouTube has some great old videos from from way back when. It's also got some alarming stuff. I mean, I don't generally trust it if I can I can help it, but if I know who the person is running it, there's some very good stuff on Facebook and there's some very good stuff on like YouTube. But the uh, all the, the the books, there's so many different writers and authors from here. I thought I'd put a page together for that. Uh, the Fortune John rules. We talked about that. It's what it is is Fort St. John people have done well. Like, for example, when you go to the National Art Gallery in Ottawa and you look around, you'll see a fellow's name named Brian Jungen there. And he's got some amazing stuff. And he's, he's like a, one of the, he's a treasure of, of the world for Indigenous art. Amazing guy. Well, he grew up at Montney and in Chetland. He's a Fort St. John guy. 
And the person, uh, there's another uh, lady that runs the indigenous department there. She's also from Fort St. John. Like she spent time in Fort St. John. So, I mean, there's, there's people out there that have done extraordinary things. So that's where the Fort St. John rules started, rules page. So we just thought, uh, my son David was the one that come up with originally, originally how to do this. And I learned how to, to do Facebook, you know, to what, you know, I'm, I'm not great at it, but I can get by. And we started adding these amazing people. Because I knew a few people that have done well, you know, world champions, national champions. And that was, our cutoff with it was, you had to be a national champion or better. Like it wasn't like, you could be like a, a local person or a provincial, because we have so many of those. You couldn't possibly... <laughs> it's I a humble break, I love it. We have so many of these. We, we do. do. It's crazy. Like a speed skating club probably has 200 <laughs> uh, provincial champions. I mean, I, I couldn't possibly do them all. So, well, let's have like the Olympic people, uh, Olympic medalists, uh, uh, national gallery, and this kind of stuff. And, and we have filled that up with so many people. Um, Lord of the Dance at one point had six Fort St. John people dancing on it. And what? Amanda O'Toole was the, the lead dancer for uh, uh, Flatley's Lord of the Dance in, that toured around the world. Yeah, there's, there's like half a dozen of Fort St. John girls dancing in Lord of the Dance, which was pretty amazing. And yeah, it's stuff, stuff like that. You know, the, the, the one time the major general Clay of... Uh, she was the Surgeon General, so the head doctor for all the Canadian Armed Forces. It's been a few years back. And also happened to be the, the first person to fly a, a woman, fly a jet fighter plane and a whole bunch of first things. And she's a Fort St. John person. There's all kinds of stuff that really surprise you. When you go to the fringe. Yes. In Edmonton, favorite. there's a guy from Stage North. Uh, lived here in Fort St. John. I worked in college for 10 years. I think it was with their college program when they had one. He left here and went to Edmonton and he started the fringe, which more fringes and fringes and fringes. So there's fringes in the fringe everywhere. Started in Fort St. John, stage north. Well, and something that I thought that was, you pointed out was really neat is you said on this site, you, you helped create it because we are a very humble town. And so you're right, you could be walking down the street and you see that person and you might not know that they've, you know, like you, you've completed an Ironman. I didn't realize that you were a national speed skating champion. Yeah. Um, and that, that's, we don't often say about it. And the other thing I thought that was really neat is you said, but if you spell something wrong or forget a time, they don't loudly say it, but they'll just quietly go, actually it was this. And that's, yeah. you must have had some cool conversations over the, the years. With there, there is, there's all kinds of, I put up one, the, the Olympics one is always interesting because nobody will, I mean, other than Danny Morrison, I mean, Danny Morrison is a great guy. You know mm -hmm. him and his brother Jay and uh, Linda Johnson, I used to speed skate with her. She's another uh, You used Olympic to speed skate with Linda? Well, I, I stood on the ice at the same time as her. She is so fast. It was just crazy. Super person. And we had this, uh, I set this thing up. About, uh, I figured we had eight, eight gold medals for, for Fort St. John in, uh, with uh, a dozen Olympic uh, uh, turning up. This is, this is the uh, paras and, and all that as well. So, I mean, Danny's won a pile of medals. And, and, and so I had a whole bunch of people there. Of course, there was the, the curler, a wheelchair curler that's won a pile. Bow Hedges, of course. They had a whole pile. I mean, all these, it's a huge long list. And I put it up there, and somebody put in there and said, oh, my brother won that, won a gold medal in Australia at para volleyball. And gave me the guy's thing. I'm like, what? So I look it up to make sure it's legit. And, yeah, 
I don't know, may he still be around Fort St. John? It's like, yeah, oh yeah, I'd happen to have a gold medal laying around. This is kind of typical of, of Fort St. John. We're, yeah. I'm going to get my gold medal. It's in the back hallway. Like that's <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Stunning. Well, to, to turn the camera on you a tiny bit, what was it like to become a national speed skating champion? Like that's a wild thing. That's really cool. Well, it was very cool. I had a, a big uh, speed skating crash before that, and I ground a whole bunch of skin off my face and nose and busted my nose, a whole bunch of things. So I, I didn't think I was going to get back from that, and I, it all healed up. And then... Uh, Just what I was talking about, how many times have you crashed? Like between biking, how many, how many bones have you broken, Pat? I've only actually broken one bone knowingly, if you don't count my nose. My nose, I think, spiked a couple times. Okay, sorry. Just, but, just, yeah, just, just a collarbone, so I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm tougher than smart, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, so you've, cra- you've, you've crashed, you're, you're, you're healing, but you're not sure. So I, I got going, and, and a few things happened that went my way was the, the conditions were slow and hard for skating, so I'm, I'm more of a strong skater than a, than a smooth skater. So the conditions worked for me for three out of the four events, and yeah, yeah, it worked out. What, because um, uh, speed skating is just such an interesting sport for me that you guys always look like you're just not working hard. You look so smooth, um, and then you're just blowing so fast, just going by. Can you tell that you've won when you're speed skating, or is it kind of your head up and you go, oh gosh, I'm first? Like, what is it? Can uh, It's generally, like with, with one I was in, like the nationals was actually long track, which is basically a time trial. Okay. So you skate against another skater, or if it's maybe in some cases, if it's uh, they'll do uh, uh, like that case would be a time trial. So it's your time, and then they figure out after it's over how your time was, or if it's mass start, it, it, you can actually see if you're ahead of the person or not. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Ninety two was a mass start, so I could skate, kind of see where everybody was, and then make sure I my nose was first across the finish line. So, yeah, that made it... Because when you can see what's going on, it definitely does help. Overwhelming at all? Or was it... Was it how did it feel when you, when you actually won? Oh, it was cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was good. That's fantastic. Oh. I won the Provincials half a dozen times up at that time, but never won uh, Nationals. That was... Yeah, that was interesting. And it's outdoor ice. It's the old outdoor speed skating oval, and it was cold, and it was... Yeah, the, the indoor... Oval we have is wonderful. It's, it's, there is nothing like it. There literally is nothing else like it on the planet. It's the only second floor speed skating oval in the world. Everywhere, everybody else, it's a ground floor thing. That speed skating oval we have here is the only one like it on the world. And it's fantastic to skate. For public skating, you actually can skate out there without... Normally, it's a little hockey rink thing and you're bumping into everybody. You actually get out there and skate. You can take your kids out and skate. It's it's a it's a treasure. Well, and it's it's neat. Um, just to who comes to Fort Saint like I remember, like hey, watching Denny do a couple laps on that with the with uh, the, the this, this club was amazing. And then when we have international skaters coming in, that's a neat thing. Just because we, we had the worlds here, the world championships were here. When were the worlds here? Ah, uh, five years ago. The the world 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 championships were here in Fort Saint John, and they also had they didn't have ice at the. Uh, Canada Winter Games in Prince George. It's, it's always the, when you've got outdoor ice, it's always the vagaries of warms up and it melts or it's too cold, everybody gets frostbite. But what they did in, is they put the, all the people on a plane from Prince George and flew them to Fort St. John in the Canada Winter Games speed skating. 
for that year were done in Fort St. John. It's kind of like Vancouver Whistler, Prince George, Fort St. John. Yeah, exactly. So I'd be curious because I, I, I'm in awe of the speed skating world here. Why is it so good in Forts or, or what helps it here? Because it's, we seem to have a really good heartbeat in the, in the speed skating. Is there any secret sauce or is it just we just are wonderful people? How good coaches, uh, have the facilities, we have the time, we have the money. Uh, again, if you're in the big city, you, you know, your kids pick a sport and that's what you go with. You know, they're, they're not going to be doing a bunch of sports. But the kids that are really good at these, at these on, a, on a big level, like you look at the, the Denny Morrisons and Jay Morrisons and, and those, and Linda Johnson, they're good at all sports. And, and a lot of sports is good for kids. They do a bunch of different sports. They enjoy them. They keep having fun. And then as they get older, they'll start to specialize. But when you specialize in only one thing right off the bat, maybe the kid hates figure skating or or, or soccer or whatever he's doing. You know, you never get to try a bunch of sports to see what you truly, you know, enjoy. So maybe you're a speed skater and you'd rather play volleyball. But I mean, you got to try those things and it's got to have that, that opportunity to do that. And you get to do that. Plus, we have a bit more time. We can, uh, a bit more money than, you know, kind of battling it out in the big city. So yeah, the opportunities I think are, are there. Speaking of opportunities and, and the city and just the neat things it has, um, we talked about this in the pre-interview a tiny bit. Um, you chose to retire here, which I, we're switching gears big way. I tried to have make that segue. It didn't work too well. Um, why did you stay here? Like, this is such a neat thing. Like, my parents just went through it, and I remember sitting down at the kitchen table with them and go, so when are you moving? And my mom went, we're not. Um, it's such a cool thing. Um, is there a, a, a reason why you stayed in particular or just going, well, this is where we live? This is home. This is where our friends live. Uh, our kids know where we are. I'm not sure they'd want us moving into town next to them. Where, you know, um, Kids move around too. I mean, I enjoy it. It's uh, all my friends are here. The people I know are here. I know where everything is. I'm not going to be battling it out back and forth across the whole big city to do things. Yeah, it's just an enjoyable place. If I want to go somewhere, we have cars, we have airplanes, we can go places if we want. We, I don't want to live in Disneyland. I might want to go visit, but I'm not going to live there. I enjoy Victoria. We'll go there in the in the spring when we're starting to get tired of watching the snow melt. We can go there for a month or two, but I'm not going to live there. We'll go to visit relatives in you know in Edmonton, Calgary, kind of thing, but. I'm not going to live there. I'm not a, I'm not a, I've got away from being a, a big city person. And I think a lot of people also uh, found that too, because back in the, when I first moved here, the, there wasn't nearly the facilities we have now. I mean, if you really look and count down what was here for the pool, the rink, the, the, the farmer's market plaza, I mean, there is a vast more, vastly more things here than we had back in those days. So there's more things to keep us here. So that's why we're seeing more and more of us old geezers hanging around because there's more to see, more to do. And the city's changing. is changing to accommodate us seniors as well. I mean, there's a walking track. I mean, you don't have to go outside if it's pouring rain or icy or anything. It's got very good walking track. I mean, it's, it's fantastically well used. You can go for a skate. You know, it's not a... Our pool is, is excellent. I mean, ride your bike anywhere you want to go. I mean, it's... There, if you, yeah, you gotta, you gotta take a look at what you actually have. There was a fellow that we bumped into. He was actually a, an armed Canadian Armed Forces pilot. 
and him and his wife retired here 30 years ago kind of thing. And he never lived in Fort St. John. And he looked it all up. I remember we were talking to him and he said, so, you know, why did you retire here? I mean, why you didn't go anywhere else? You lived all over the world and Germany. And just, he says, what other place is better than this? I said, so what do you mean? He says, well, what's your cost of living? How much does, co- how much does the house cost you here? You know, like if I want to do something, how much driving around do we have to do? Uh, you know, and a whole list of things. He says, trouble with you guys, he says. He was pointing out to me and another long-term Fort St. John guy. He says, you guys don't know what you have. He says, you've got to have a look around, see. And I, I tease, oh, it's always cold here. Say, like minus 40 all the time. And, he, and this guy is hilarious. He whips out this big map. He says, I actually looked that up. Says, <laughs> In the last 10 years, I found we had an actual minus 40 t- uh, temperature in Fort St. John five times. It's not cold all the time. You're just making this up. Yeah. So I looked it up and yeah, he was right. There's, we don't get that cold here. I mean, hey, I, I enjoy milking the story with the best of them. Mm-hmm. You know, when I go down to Victoria or Vancouver, I love to talk to, especially Vancouver people, get a bunch of people in a room and you say, oh, it's so cold. The wolves grab the kids right off the sidewalks. Whoa, really? They go, oh, really? Yep. Snag them around the side. And, and every spring, if there's less than three kids that disappear because of the wolves, we, we have a big bonfire and we celebrate. And if, if it's four or more, we don't tell anybody. <laughs> really? It's gonna be Try so it. Much. Try the story. Next time you're down there, I'm, they will eat it up, tell you, you gotta swear them all the secrecy. Look both ways. Now, nobody tell anybody this story, but I'm just telling you, the sidewalks, you gotta be careful. <laughs> This isn't so. I have a bunch of teacher friends in Ontario, and their introduction to Fort St. John. Do you remember when the moose broke into the superintendent build, or sorry, into the board office? There was uh, a day. Well, there's um, one in Saskatchewan. I didn't know the one. Yeah, there was. There's and there's a video of it, which is even better. Where this this moose was in town, and this is when I. This was only about two or three years ago, and it got very lost and crashed in through the front door, ran through the uh, the school board. And then Stephen Petrucci, the, the superintendent, you can see him running out, opening the door, and this thing takes off. And that was, because I came and went, I'm, I'm Ted, I'm from Fort St. John. And the prof went home and was like, I don't know where Fort St. Looked it up and came back and went, you guys have moose in your thing? And, and so, <laughs> so this, I'm now going to be telling, and yes, and now the children can take it to the wolves. Yep. Just, it's a great story, and they'll eat it up. Because they don't know. I mean, the, the, whole, the whole joke with... The whole Vancouver, Victoria thing is, they think that's pretty much BC, you know? And most <laughs> of the Canada does that too. They don't realize that this is giant province. The, the top half of BC, like Prince, or like north of Prince George, the, the actual north, is like two-thirds the size of France. This is, this is a big, big area. I had a fellow that uh, emailed me and said, are you getting all that rain and all that stuff and, and the flooding? This is, no, it's like, because he saw north, so he thought, well, like Prince Rupert. No, 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 Fort St. John is like 600 kilometers north of, of that. Like, this, this, we're not even close to it. But they don't have any concept, which is interesting. With, we've got Google Earth and Internet. I mean, this stuff could be looked up if you're, I mean, if you wanted to buy a bargain pair of socks, you would look it up. Why wouldn't you look up your province that you live in? That's yeah. very true. It's funny, I like when you said, okay, you, you don't know what you have here, because to me, uh, just everybody's talking about size. 
I think the big realization, A, of how big BC is, is I had a hockey tournament in Fort Nelson and drove to Fort Nelson going, that's four hours north. And then on top of that, there's another two or three hours to the border. Yeah. I'm going, wow, we have a huge province. Massive. And good biking on it, I guess it sounds yeah. like up here. Mm-hmm. Um, this is, you're not old, like in any, any state of the, well, the matter. Oh, yes. um, is it neat? You said the town has changed. Is it neat to look around and to, to know some of the people who've done some of this? I mean, you've changed the town in a bit. You've, you've created the, the Blizzard Bike Club. You had a bike shop here. Um, is it kind of neat to, to sit back and go, hey, I, I know who did that, or I know who did this. That'd be a, a different generation than me. And do you, do you, have, you, have you ever done that and gone, oh, Hey, my friend built that, or I know the person who did that. Yeah, it is fun because we you know it's a it's a community. We know we know everybody. We kind of know what they do, and like when uh, uh, W and L, I mean uh, uh, Reed builds these really interesting buildings. Like it's where a lot of this modern ones come from. I mean, a guy I know built those things, and a guy I know renovated like the the old uh, CNCP building that was they turned into the dental office. Oh yeah, yeah. That was originally a super armored building it was like really heavy duty block walls uh it was it was built to actually sustain like a nuclear blast or something when they built that because that was a big communication center so a couple of those buildings they built around uh the area were called refuge refuge buildings so the idea is they would be armored enough that if anything happened this is they were built during the 50s so this is the, you know, we're practicing, you know, where you crawl under the table, the, your desk in case there's a bomb blast or something like that. I mean, this kind of stuff. <laughs> I mean, that, that was very legit back for those yeah, oh days. Oh, yes. I mean, and I don't mean to laugh at it. I just love that. That's like, yes, that's... I mean, now awesome. they do it for earthquakes. But I mean, there's always some reason to crawl under your desk, I guess. Desks are very handy. Yeah. So, and the uh, when they built the post office, a very heavy-duty uh, cinder block building. Yeah, one of the I mean, few. that was hauled for a great long distance. So these are interesting. And these, and these old builders have the stories about why these places were built the way they were. And, yeah, but there's another interesting guy that built virtually a lot of these really cool-looking buildings were built by him. But it was interesting to, he's on the, the Heritage Buildings page too. Okay. So we'll put, he'll something there and he'll go, oh yeah, I, we did that. Or how, how about this one? Or yeah, he's always had a cool story or something like that. And these are, yeah, these are very hands-on guys. That's, I, I love, I remember just even volunteering. And it goes back to you say, if you, can, if you can ask the right questions, you get the right stories. I was volunteering at something and someone walked by the new RCMP building and went, oh, that's going to be interesting. And I went, yeah, it's going to be. And he went, I can tell you about the old one because I built it. And just going, oh, and then we talked for half yeah. an hour because he, he, he just, if I asked, can you tell me more? And he did. And it was, it was fantastic. There's a great old story about the old, old RCMP building. Where's the old, old RCMP building? Now, uh, City Hall. Uh, City Hall, and if you look uh, south of City Hall to the building, it's right there. It's I can't remember who's got. It. I think it's oh the the old jail. Um, the old, the, it, it wasn't. A, it's like if you're if Tim Hortons. This is going to be great for whichever camera it is. Yeah. Tim Hortons is here. You look across from Tim Hortons. Yeah. Uh, like it's, this is really dead. Sears is here. The courthouse is here. Tim Hortons is here. It the that building's here, and City Hall's here. I think an oil company has it now. I'm trying to think of who it was. But that place, they claim, has a ghost in it. And there's a great story that there's an environmental company had it before the oil company or the uh, gas company has it now. And they actually had quite a good write-up about it. And then, strangely, it went from being the, the police uh, uh, RCMP shop, they built a new one across the street. Then it turned into a funeral home for a while. 
And then they had a bunch of uh, coffins around and they had a crematorium and a whole bunch of things and they they really thought there was maybe ghosts down there and, and they sold it, moved away. <laughs> so not exactly sure what happened there. So maybe it's got its own ghost. Who knows? That's Ask the gas company that's in it right now. Just knock on the door. Go yeah. ahead. Hey, do you have a you... ghost we can talk to? <laughs> There's an interview for a TED Talk. That would be so fascinating. Yeah, yeah just hey, all the ghosts. Yeah. We have this ghost here. Yes. He's a good friend. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Wow, this is, I mean, you're just so full of these, these stories. So if people want to know these stories, the, the site is called, and I want to make sure, because I've looked at it too, but it's the Heritage Buildings of the North Peace. That's correct. Yeah. That is, this is, I think we could talk all day about, this is just so much fun. There, there is, it's such, and, and there's so many out there I've never seen. People abruptly send me a picture of, of a building like Annie Young and her husband. They actually had a house that became the post office out of Monty. So I said, oh, it's too bad that building wasn't still around. And somebody actually took a picture of it and said, it's in my backyard. Here it is. <laughs> like, wow, that's awesome. And that's the kind of cool stuff we get. A lot of stuff is people are getting old and old. A lot of their uh, the pictures disappear. They get thrown away. And plus, back in those days, it was, it was expensive to take a picture. People didn't take a picture of a building for, there's no reason. You, had to, you have to find a picture of people standing in front of a building and you see a, a photograph of them. There they are standing in front of old Fort St. John or the, the old original Carlsonia Theater. Or Is that the one that's at the dump? No. No, that's the, the, this is the first one. Where was the, that? The, the first one, it was built in the same place. It's kind of where Marshall Wells is, that area there. Mm -hmm. There was originally, the Carlsonia was built uh, during wartime, and it uh, burnt down, and then that one that's at the dump, that became the second one. So there's actually two of them on that spot. So for those who don't know, there when you go into the dump, there's the, it's a Quonset hut, I believe. That's correct. And that was the first, second, now I'm learning, movie theater? That was the second movie theater. Okay. And then plus there was the, the, uh, the old Lux and Taylor, which was a really nice old theater. Okay. You must have gone to that one, didn't no, you? No, I didn't even oh know Lux and Beautiful big old theater. Had the uh, beautiful old seats in there, and then uh, there's they were had something to do with the ones when they built the Cascade Theater at Hudson Hope, which How is many also theaters still are there. there? <laughs> well, the Cascade Theater is still there. Okay, and it's and BC Tell Telus has it now and use it for storage. But that's actually an original movie theater as well, because back in those days when they were building uh, the original uh, uh, dams and all that stuff, the population was huge. So they actually had their own movie theater, Cascade Theater. It's still there to this day. Wow. And what was the name of the original? The Car, Carl, no, not Carl Tony. Carl Sonia. Carl Sonia. It was Carl and Sonia. His wife was named Sonia, so it was Carl Sonia. Carl Sonia. That's a beautiful yep. name. And then the, the, it was there towards then the, about 1957, that's when the Lido came along. Yep. So then the Carl Sonia, uh, they took it down, they moved part of it away, and... Yeah, then of course Lido is still alive. It's a fantastic old building too. I love it, what Brian's yeah, done. Brian place. saved that place. I mean, yeah, that's, that's the thing. Is you, you come along to these old places and decide, well, is it is it salvageable? Is there a coolness that's worth saving? And that's really what it comes down to. I mean, we all cringe when an old building gets flattened, but it's got to keep serving a purpose. And then ultimately that's what it comes down to. That's like us, we have to serve a purpose. Yeah. So that's... There's lots of drops of wisdom. Like, hey, I really enjoyed what you said about the, the photo, the, that, that photos back then. Like, sometimes we just look at photos and go, oh, but they were, they were taken for a purpose because it was an mm -hmm. expensive thing. Yep. Uh, learning about the purposes of the buildings that are still here and the stories, because we can learn from them, there's, there's, 
Yeah, it, everything up here that is still up here has a purpose, and it, it's. For example, there was a picture that somebody sent in. There was a couple standing there with their kid. Great old picture of downtown, so you actually see the downtown in the back. And there was Finch's store, and there was a little building behind Finch's store, between that and the post office or uh, uh, the old Thorson store. There was a little building there, and I. I don't know what these things are. Warren Moore has a wealth of idea. He, he let me know. He said, that's the old washroom, the town washroom. Oh, what's that? Well, the Women's Institute, the WI, had a little washroom there. Because when you took the, the old Model A or the horse and buggy from way out of town, you're coming into town to get your groceries or whatever, you're filthy, you're looking for a washroom. Uh, you know, it's been a hard day. And you go up and they actually, the Women's Institute had somebody there that helped you. And they had a little washroom the town washroom, and you go in, get your kids cleaned up and all that stuff, and then from there you go off, do your shopping. And actually had this little WI washroom. That's the coolest thing ever. It is. Yeah. Just, what a good idea. Never heard of, never dawned on me such a thing existed. That, I see now in the day and age, you just need, if you have a washroom, you just go over there. But to have the, the WI, and yep. someone thought of it. Someone went, you know what, we need to put this here. Yep. And we need people to be there. Maybe like, it's a really chamber of commerce thing. You know? <laughs> yep. That's... That is so neat. That is, I can't remember. The, I think um, at the school school board office, uh, or sorry, at the, the maintenance office as well. Just it's fun when you see little things. and You're like, oh, like there was a hitching post there for the longest time because that is cool. Yeah, and there was a worker, uh, Mr. Coop, who was a, I remember him working in the school. He would take his horse and he would like the hitching. He was, I'm going to use the hitching post. So that is so awesome. Well, it was. Uh, a lot of it was angle parking when I first got here too. Okay, yeah, the, the original. Yeah. I it's see. It's one of those things that it's it does a bunch of things that makes it cool, but they're just a nightmare when you try to back out. You know, <laughs> yeah. it curses you. Yeah. <laughs> but they're 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 fun. You know, they're they're a throwback, but you don't necessarily want them anymore. You know, it's one of those old pictures of it. Yeah. So, and you get to it's neat because you get to appreciate it and go, that's what we have. This is where we're at, um, and it makes life just so much more richer. In in to be to wax poetic about it, because it, it's so. It, it truly, um, in education, we used to say like, okay, my ceiling will be your floor. Um, and then you get to, and it's neat, because every once in a while you get to look down and go, wow, we've come so far. Yeah. Look at that. And you can also see the, 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 the strings that have gone all the way and go, hey, I do that because of this that happened. Or this city looks like this mm -hmm. because this person put this building here or had this idea. Well, look at Stage North, how long they've been around. Mm -hmm. Stage North at one time was, uh, was you know, where the seniors hall is, right, right next to Urban Systems. Yep. That originally was, a, was one of these old uh, office army huts. It was a big long one. And they, it, it, we used to remember uh, Patricia and I, when we first moved here, we went to, a, a move, or went to a, one of their Stage North productions. And one of them was uh, Billy the Kid. And what they did was this long, long building was kind of up on blocks. It was kind of wobbly. Like you walk in the thing, it was kind of creak, creak, creak. And they had the whole long building set up, so they dumped gravel and dirt on the floors on all around the floor so you actually had this dirt floor of a, of a town and then they had the storefronts and the people sat all the way along the sides and benches and they cranked the heat up because it was a desert and you sit there sweltering away and these right off the bat these two guys would walk out and one guy says are you Billy the kid and yeah and he just pulls his guns and they had the shootout and somehow they had the blood blowing up on the guy's chest and it got onto some of the, the people sitting there, the attend the audience. It was like, ah, I got blood on me. Ah. So yeah, that that was the original one of the original Stage North things. They eventually hauled that away and they had a program with the uh, college at that time. But yeah, old, old buildings around town. If it's if it sits there empty for a little while, chances are good uh, Stage North is gonna jump on it and have <laughs> a play in it. Yeah. That's that's fantastic.
Michael Patonin was the guy that was the director in those days. Okay. I think he went on to Edmonton or Winnipeg or something like that. So it was interesting to see where these guys, you know, they cut their teeth here and move on oh. to something. That does seem to be an interesting... What I really like about this town is... We do have the people like you who are like, well, I have six months and now I'm here for 30 years. Yep. But we're also a good training ground for a lot of people who, who stay here or came here, got to experience the world here, and then took those skills somewhere else. I mean, it's on your, your uh, FSJ rules as well, you, you, and you've mentioned it. Uh, here gives you a wide uh, breadth of experience that you, when you go somewhere else, uh, you, you get to learn. I, I know in theater, um, for instance, it was really interesting going to larger centers and it was neat because I could do a lot of things that people couldn't, not because I'm better at them, but because here, no one is going to do it, so you've got to learn how to do it, mm -hmm. um, which is such a cool experience. It, it, to, to harken back to our earlier conversation, sometimes up here we forget what we have because it's just the way we've always done things. Well, we're handy here. We know we can do a lot of things. Like if you're down in, you're uh, working in like Victoria or Vancouver or whatever in, in a big operation, there, you might be the, the apprentice pencil sharpener for a long time. Even though you're, you're competent, you can do a lot of things. Where you come up here, you actually can do a lot more things. I mean, sometimes it's a bit perilous. You have to be careful. But we can do a lot more things. We're allowed to do more things here than, than they get to do in the, in the big city, so to speak, in the bigger companies. If you weren't living in Port St. John, would you have started your own bike company? I doubt it. Because I, I know so many people here, and I don't think I would ever been in, even been encouraged to do that. Because in the big city, it's a... It's a it's a tough audience. I mean, there's people that have, there's shops down there with practically anything that have been there for 40, 50 years. I mean, they've been around for a long time. They got deep pockets. You know, they've outlasted the people that couldn't do it. And I can't see myself doing a lot of the things that I've been, I've done here. Well, it's a, another thing I love because you're saying, it might have happened to Big C or not, but I like because here you write your book and someone goes, hey, Pat. Can I, can I see another one? And that, that direct audience, uh, yeah. they're your friends and your audience, which is really mm -hmm. cool. Yeah. But, but Pat, this is, this is fantastic. I, we've actually, I've never done this. We've ran out of time. So I, I'm really thankful um, that we've had this conversation. And I know that I, I really want to highlight, so Fort St. John Rules on Facebook. If you type mm -hmm. that in, you'll find it. Yep. The North Peace Books and North Peace Authors, right. which is fantastic. I, I really am thankful that you showed me, A, how many authors there are up here. Because, well, actually, before we go, is there a question? Um, is there anything I didn't know about how many authors there were up in the piece? Uh, Writers of the North Peace is a Facebook site we also look after. Okay, great. Yep. Um, Writers of the Peace. Writers of the Peace. Yep. Is there something about the writing community that people might not know here, like A, the size, or B, the quality, or C, what books they might have? Uh, I don't think people realize that there is a writing community here. Uh, it's a, a Facebook is kind of handy because we haven't got together much because of the COVID thing going on. So but you can type up something and say, hey, I'm trying to figure this out. What do you suggest? You know, there's lots of, or just scroll down. Maybe some situation or something in there. I think, oh, there's something I can maybe use to figure out what I'm doing. Uh, go talk to the, the person in the art gallery. They've got some of the local books in there as well, too. Ronnie Roberts puts on writing courses. Okay. Uh, yeah, there's a, there's a real, there's a lot of really good, sharp people in, in writing and, and all different kinds of books. There's people that write nonfiction, history. There's people that write yarns. There's uh, rom-coms like I do or uh, political science fiction kind of stuff. I mean, there's, there's a whole range of what people write. Stan Large, for example, writes the old, uh, old stories about being a pioneer here. And there's just a real wealth that you could stack up a pile of books in front of you and, and local writers 
and spent a long time pawing through them all. Uh, the, the museum is very good. Their bookstore as okay. well is very good. Uh, two questions. My first one is, uh, I, I, know we, I am cognizant of the time. Why rom-coms, Pat? Because rom-coms are my favorite thing. But when I was biking next to you, when I was 14 years old, I, did, I wouldn't look over. Well, I'd never look at, over. I'd look, oh, there's Pat right there. I don't think I'd been like, he's a rom-com fan. <laughs> How did that come up? Well, there's just so many funny things happen in a day. And especially with cycling, you, you, you just got to watch for them. You got to laugh, you know? There's, so because, you know, it's like uh, cycling is, is a grueling sport. So you better be able to sit back after and find a few things to laugh about. You know, like, oh yeah, the guy, he rode off into the, into the headwind thinking he can win the day. Ha, 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 we sure wait for he, waited for him to fry and then we caught up to him and left him behind in the dust, you know. So, I mean, you got to be able to keep a smile on for it. Yeah, hopefully it's going to be a movie sometime. You never know. I think it would be a very good movie myself. I think I'm just going to make sure that all cameras can see that this is the Gypsy Engagement series. Please make sure you get it. And Christmas is coming up, so it's great to support local authors. Art Gallery, Kohl's, or Amazon. Perfect. book and regular. The Disciples one is an interesting one, too. Yes, this is one here. This is going to be good. A little serious, but it has tinges of humor in it as well. I like that. I love, if you can't find humor in things, well... I'm gonna, yeah, this is fantastic. So what was your favorite story in the uh, uh, short story book? So, uh, so people know, so Pat, uh, I was able to get Pat's uh, short story book. My favorite one was, you have two that are uh, um, kind of back to back, or not back to back, but one is about an undercover police officer. Mm -hmm. And I love it because in one of the stories you talk about, oh, there's just a shoe that was discovered. And so uh, I can see, I like that because I know there's breadcrumbs for other stories. Because yeah, we, we've, we, we read the, the kind of the second part of that. Um, just what it's like to be undercover and, and, and that world and living in and, and kind of getting close to the, the people who you're, you're spying on of sorts um, and then how that plays out. And then I loved it because uh, a few stories later, uh, and that was actually really neat. I, I like that you didn't put them side by side. Mm -hmm. I got to, oh, okay, cool, that's this, and then flip through some stories which are also very good, but then go, oh, hey, this is a, this is hearkening, this is the thing, this is back here. And that, yeah, so it was, it was so good, so yeah. Which one? If you, mm, I was gonna, I have to say, which one's your favorite story? But I feel like it might be like trying to pick favorite children. Um, uh, Spencer was a very hard one too. That was probably my first story that actually wrote was was Spencer, but I could never could pull the, the story together. Which I would limp along with it. I just couldn't quite figure it out. And my my uh, writing club challenged me and said, "Come on, get that story going." So I finally put the. The, the Spencer's about the, the lonely uh, postman, you know, and he's, and he eventually retires. And yeah, that, that was a, that was, you know, that's my wife's favorite. She likes that one. Uh, the one about the, the bike rider, the, the Marcus Deering guy at Makes the very first the one, devil. he was kind of an evil story. That was written based on sort of roughly on a couple of uh, huge cycling, uh, Scandals that were going on by riders who shall remain nameless, you know, like Lance, you know. <laughs> so there was something going on, and I wrote that story before he actually let the cat out of the bag. Because at that time, everybody thought, oh, he's, he, he's he, great. He's fine. He's fine. And then finally, he let it go on Oprah. And then I thought, well, nobody's going to want the story now. They said, well, this guy knew all the time. I thought, oh, no. So I ended up skipped that story for a while. So I eventually. Uh, got back on it again and put that story together for that short story book. But that was, that was a hard one to, to figure out. That was, I, that was my, my, the, 
I just I love that introduction because it's really neat because you, you, you create worlds really well. Like I, I read that first story there and just got to see the bikes and the races and uh, him growing up. And that is something really wonderful, being transported to a spot and at the end of the day going, and you know what? I can talk to that person too. Like that was, that was a special gift. So thank you for that. We should uh, make sure though, because I, I am cognizant, this has been, this is fantastic. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Pat Ferris. Pat, can you just say all of those lovely things of where you can find your books one more time? Uh, you can come at the Fort St. John Art Gallery, which is in the Cultural Center, Kohl's, or you can check out Amazon, or you can check out uh, Books and Novels by Patrick D. Ferris on Facebook. And also, if you're on Facebook, please look up the Fort St. John, uh, the North Peace Books and North Peace Authors, the Heritage Buildings of the North Peace, and FSJ Rules, because the conversations that we're having, uh, you can see them typed out and, uh, and just learn so much about our town. So Blizzard Bicycle Club. Awesome as well. Yep, trails and road. Oh, we didn't even talk about the fact that you've made the cactus trails. And like every once in a while, I look on your Facebook site and you're like, oh, I made this new trail. Um, Beaten Park is very good too. Cactus trails, Beaton Park, they're probably the best two places to go right now. Okay. Did Check you, them out. Did you make cactus trails? Like I, I remember them not being there and all of a sudden they were there. Was that you? Oh, it was me and uh, Gary and Ken Nix and yeah, cats it's, of thousands. Jeepers. Uh, wild. And then also just like the Beaton Trail... How many of the beaten trails are the trails that you've helped make, you and a team? Ah, uh, we're up to about 20 kilometers in there. Jeepers. That's the single track stuff. Some of it was original uh, snowshoe trails, but okay. we fixed them up, made a few changes with it. Uh, and when, yeah. you say, when you say we, who's, because I know that there's, it takes a lot to do that, who's kind of your team? Or a, Me and Sam and Dan and Ben and cast of thousands again. Spike Club, you can't do anything with, by yourself. You've got to have a bunch of like-minded folks. Best bike club in the world. Blizzard Bike Club. Yep. And I love how too, how you mentioned too that, that uh, you don't know what you have until you're there. How you've had people in other bike clubs go, your, your club's really good. Your club's really big. We're well known all over the place. It's not, you go somewhere, oh yeah, Blizzard Bike Club, we know about you. Or you're riding your bike way out in the middle of nowhere and somebody, you flat tire or something and, and some stranger will pick you up and says, you know, my aunt used to ride with you guys. You must remember Aunt Millie, you know, yak, yak, yak. Yeah, everybody knows us. That's why we get, people are so good to us when we're riding our bike around here, is people kind of know who we are. They give us lots of room. When it comes to passing, anything like that, that's why we're the favorite, a favorite thing to watch on the road. I love like you're in, like, Okay, like that's a, such a great conspiracy. strategy. Yeah, exactly, that's what I was thinking of. Like, yep. is if they know us, they'll keep us safe. Yep, they do. That is. Wow. Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Pat Ferris, uh, please look up those Facebook sites. And if you see him, Pat, this has been fantastic. Thank you for this wonderful conversation. No problem. Thank you. Tune in next time for Voices of the Beast. Thanks for listening to this energeticcity.ca podcast. Energeticcity.ca is your only local and independent news in Northeast BC. To help keep us independent and to support this podcast, go to energeticcity.ca slash join.